following is a presentation of the Retro Network. Strap in, movie fans. We're about to take you 30 years into the past to explore the biggest blockbuster hits of the 1990s. I'm Pete. And I'm Michael. And And this this is is Box Box Office Office 30. 30. Welcome to Box Office 30's review of Encino Man. I am Pete, and as usual, I'm joined by my good buddy, Michael. How are you, sir? I'm chilling with the weasel, my friend. (laughs) Chilling with the weasel, I gotta tell you. Um, All right, I have to come out of the gate saying this. I did not hate Pauly Shore as much as I thought I was going to do. Honestly, I thought he was probably the most interesting character in the whole movie. I have to well, be honest. Let me tell you something. I'm going to be brutally honest with you right now, all right? Because you need to hear this. Uh-huh. The only thing you have ever cared about was Nugs chilling and grindage. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, I, I'm so happy to hear that your take was that. And I have to say too, like I am definitely by far not the biggest Pauly Shore fan. Although I think what I will say is that um, I'm. I feel like I'm pretty passable with him. Like, you know, like movies like this, like I just recognize him as a little bit of a force of nature happening in the nineties in it, you know, like for sure. um, But I, I don't I think even like probably when I was younger, I would have like sought out like in the army now or or things like that. um, Like on a rental night or something, probably not going to see him in the theater, but yeah, um, this is probably again, outside of Goofy movie, my favorite movie. That's a Polly Shore inclusion movie. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. So I have a funny story to tell about this, right? Okay. So we're recording this on Monday. We I watched this on Saturday night of Father's Day weekend, right? And I was going to watch it in my wife and our bedroom by myself because we're living with my in-laws now for well, a house under construction. <laughs> my mother-in-law's like, oh, we'll put it on. We'll watch it. I'm like, it's on Tubi. We've got to watch commercials, too. She's like, oh, it'll be fine. And Dory's like, no, I don't want to watch this movie. And I'm like, all right, fine. We'll watch it together. I was going to be like just zoned out, watching by myself, no problem. <laughs> and I said to myself, I better put on subtitles because – I have a strong feeling this movie is going to be talked over as I'm trying to take notes. <laughs> and sure enough, after like the first 30 minutes, 
my wife, my mother-in-law and father-in-law are yucking it up as I'm trying to like read the subtitles and take notes. <laughs> and my wife, my mother-in-law is like, I guess we were probably like nine minutes into the movie and I had written like, like 10 or 12 notes. And she's like, what are you writing on this movie? I'm like, I gotta have stuff to talk about. <laughs> so I can't just I can't just manifest that out of my brain. But whatever. It was like it was fine. We watched it as a group and you know, got through it in one sitting with only maybe four or five pauses. Nice. <laughs> give it time. So that's my story. I hope they had some color commentary at points. <laughs> they did not. They I don't know. They got they kind of zoned Let out. Let me ask you something just I'm curious. Like, is this a movie that Dory would have seen back in the day, or did she not know this one? I think she knew of it, but she had never seen it before. And I can probably say that she still hasn't seen it because she wasn't paying attention. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Cause she even said, Is the movie over? And I was like, yeah, the credits are rolling. Yeah, yeah. Like, what? What? It's over? Yeah. yeah, dude, it's over. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Great. So That's really funny. Well, uh, we do have your notes to go through. Um, I tried to do my normal little bit of uh, research on this, and unfortunately, kind of like the trailer, there's not a ton of information about this movie out there, um, but I did dig up some uh, fun and interesting facts here and there about it, and I thought we'd actually – um, kick off with a little bit of that just so cool. that way I'm not like derailing us midstream here. But um, one of the ones that we always seem to touch on is casting things. And so um, the, I found a lot of the notes about this had to do with the casting because, you know, this mm. movie features a lot of kind of like there's a real ensemble of like up and comers in this movie that it is yeah. afterwards. So like a, an interesting little one is that this is Rose McGowan's first film. ever, Right. But it, <laughs> when she appears, I'm like, it's Rose McGowan. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> um, but so like, I thought that was interesting. Like, and I didn't even recognize her in the thing, but then when I was going through my notes, I'm like, Oh yeah, that was her. Um, but so just talking kind of like the main cast. So, um, Sean Astin's character, Dave. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds to me from what I read, like he was kind of like, like the target of who they wanted for this mm-hmm. character. I didn't find anything else about anybody else that they had hired. And but you know what? He's the least likable character. In the he whole is. Movie. He's the least likable. He's probably the least interesting. Yeah. Um, we'll get to that. I'm sure. But uh, funny thing is that, and maybe this ties into it. Sean Astin did not want to do this movie. Um, essentially he was trying to switch over from an acting career into a more directorial career at this point. Mm-hmm. And the only reason he agreed to do this movie, cause he'll, he said it, he's like, I thought the movie was stupid. He's like, I really didn't want to do it. Um, is that they were basically going to like front him the money to create a short film that he was trying to work on at the time. Huh. So he did in fact go on to create that short film. I've now unfortunately lost <laughs> in my massive of notes here um what the movie was let me see if i can find it again quick but basically cool fact is that he uh actually was uh didn't win but was nominated uh for an oscar for his short film oh, really? um, so i just thought that that was kind of like a kind of a cool thing let's see i think i have it here uh kangaroo court yeah so it had the I oscar nomination kangaroo court for best short film um, so I've heard of that I, movie. I have not seen it, um, but apparently that was him trying to get into his directing career. Now, obviously, he goes on to do a lot more acting as well, even with Rudy in 93, which I'm really curious if we'll have in our 
Oh, it's um, gotta be. That movie was a juggernaut. <laughs> yes. I, that's still like, I think probably considered like the football movie. Um, so uh, we'll see where that goes. Uh, Link, on the other hand, uh, had a number of different people up for it. Obviously, they ended up going with Brendan Fraser, but among other folks was uh, your boy and mine, um, Nick Cage. <laughs> really? And, a young uh, Nick Cage? Yep. Um, Jim Carrey. I could see another, that. Yep. Uh, and Pauly Shore. <laughs> really? Yes. And um, essentially, I would like Johnny Depp would have been good in that role too. Yeah, I could see that too. Um, not anymore. I guess he's blacklisted now. But yeah. <laughs> yes, uh, which is funny because we've been actually showing Zoe the Pirates of the Car- Caribbean movies lately. So I'm like, you don't know, you don't know where it goes from here. <laughs> Um, but, uh, essentially they ended up going with Brandon Fraser, um, who was essentially completely unknown at that time. He had like a bit TV part to his name before that. Um, but during his audition, he apparently wrestled with a plant and like went all in and they really liked his audition. They liked that he was kind of ruggedly handsome and big because Brandon Fraser is six, three. Um, and so they, they sort of thought like, you know, like, Hey, like, you know, despite like what we know about cavemen actually being fairly small, they sort of felt that playing against the other two, this kind of big, big guy would, would, you know, read more caveman. So uh, that's how he ultimately got the part. And uh, the character of Stoney as played by Pauly Shore didn't exist until uh, Pauly Shore um, auditioned for the role of Link. And they basically liked him, but not for the Link role and so they did a last-minute rewrite of the script to add that character in and basically had him ad-lib, like, 90% of his, and, you know, and he's in the movie going to be unsurprising. Than, but, like, he's in the movie more than Sean Ashton's in the movie. <laughs> I know. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, and I think the funny part is, you know, critically, this movie did awfully. Like, I think on Rotten Tomatoes now, critical number something like 10 or 15%. Wow. But with audiences, it did very well. Um, and what I will say is that the movie is incredibly formulaic. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like, it's like, you know, I think essentially what, and I'll get into more fun facts here before we get going. Basically, um, George the Lumen crew, when they rolled into Disney to pitch this film, uh, they were instantly approved. And the reason why is basically Disney wanted to cash in on the success of Bill and Ted's excellent adventure. Um, so they looked at like, oh, wow, like two, like, kind of idiot stoner kids from California can really carry a film. So they approved them to do this movie. Um, They gave them, we talked about it last time, the $7 million budget, which is not a lot as budgets go. And they gave them only a 33 day shooting window. I can see that. I was going to say this movie probably was shot in a month. I feel like it was. Yeah. But again, like what's important to point out for those that may not know is like, that's a crazy number. Like in this day and age with digital technology, things like that, you can accomplish something like that. But like back then having to load all the film, you know, like, you know, having to lug around much, much heavier lighting equipment and things, it it would have been a test, you know what I mean? So like they really had to kind of do guerrilla filmmaking to, to kind of get through this. Oh, that, that, the whole uh, amusement park scene was definitely run and gun and just film whatever you could kind of thing, I think. Oh, for sure. Um, so, again, just, you know, I think that they managed to, to get pretty far on, on, on what they were able to do there. So that's the main three characters. Now, 
I, I as I have been doing last time, mentioned like, oh, it stars Sean Astin and Brendan Fraser and Paulie Shore, among others. Well, in the among others, um, there's a number of other actors and characters that I just forgotten about in this movie, including kind of like the female love interests and things like that. But I wanted to take a minute and actually point out the kind of stereotypical jock bully uh, Matt. in Matt Wilson, who's played by Michael DeLuise. Now, you and I have a two degrees of separation from this movie via Michael DeLuise. <laughs> now, let me fill in a little bit of more information and let me see if I can get you to, to where I'm going with this here. The very next year, in 1993, Michael DeLuise stars in a movie called Midnight Edition. Yes. <laughs> yes, he does. So so you know Midnight Edition, right? <laughs> I, I do know Midnight Edition, yes. So Midnight Edition was a film that uh, Michael and my um, – essentially one of our main, main film, film professors, professors. – um, at college directed in 93. Yep. So I was like, Hey, like, how about that? We got a, like a, a very direct link to, uh, to this movie. If you start playing your six degrees of separation, you know? Yeah. So that's, um, weird. that's a good, pretty that's funny, idea. but like, it's funny. Cause I recognize him and I'm like, Oh God, I know him. And like, you know, he was on NYPD blue for a yeah. number of years. Um, and you know, a lot of other films and things like that. So again, kind of out of the batch of people that were in this, he's one of the more, um, successful folks. Um, the two kind of main female characters, which was Robin, and then like the if you really, you know, uh, get by her minute of screen time, the uh, uh, cave woman who is played by Sandra Hess. I looked both of them up, and kind of neither one of them had. I mean, they had careers in the '90s, but they had careers like in the '90s. Well, like, also, but I mean, the girl who played Ella, uh, Robin Tunney, has a ton of film credits to her name. Like she's all over the place. The the the, the other the the best friend to the to the bag. Oh yeah, she's, she's like in the craft. She's in um, uh, Empire Records. Yes. She's in a lot of stuff in that time period. Yes. So, um, so that's kind of like the, the like cast stuff. So I wanted to kind of like just get that all out of the way up front. So I thought that was kind of interesting. You know what's funny about the, um, the Matt character, though? He almost looks as if he should have been played by, um, by like, a, like a Matt Dillon kind of guy. Yeah, I can see that. You know, like that seems like his kind of wheelhouse, I guess. Although the, Matt Dillon feels very similar to Michael Dillon. <laughs> yes, they do. They almost look alike, too. At least in looks, yeah. 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 So that's All right, so let's, so let's do this thing. So why don't we jump in on your notes? You'll start us off, and I'll probably have some commentary as so we go. <laughs> I surprisingly took a lot of notes on a fairly quick movie. Like, it's only like <laughs> barely 90 minutes. And the opening sequence of it takes place in prehistoric times, obviously, but like the way the tone is and the music, it feels like a totally different movie. It almost starts off like a horror movie. Yeah, no, and I can see that for sure. It's kind of dark and gritty and, you know, we get into this cave and it's kind of very tight focus, very, you know, small confined area. And you have this cave man and this cave woman. You don't even really see her face as much, but you see him. Well, both of them are like caked in mud, yeah. <laughs> which is like, it's funny because, you know, I was thinking about that, that like when they get him out and they clean him up, which obviously does something for the film. But I was just like, these are some 
dirty mofos. Like, you know, like they're living in like the tundra or whatever. Like they're not necessarily just like slinging around in mud pits. So I was just like, I was a little surprised by that. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. But they automatically showcase as like an earthquake is happening or some of that, that he's kind of like a nice caveman. And, and they sort of allude to this later on in the story where like, you know, cavemen are usually brutal and, you know, very, you know, domineering. And he seems like almost like a, a good guy, loving caveman. And then, you know, he's trying to make fire and then there's a big earthquake in a cave in and he's reaching out to his love and they get separated and boom, cut to Sean Astin waking up to an earthquake. And it's a, it's a good transition. It's pretty clean. It's pretty even. And it jumps, you know, thousands of years ahead in time, which is kind of funny. Um, what I thought was sort of interesting about it was like, you know, it's California, though. Was there like, you know, I, I guess you got to you know, suspend your belief <laughs> and just like, you know. I don't know. It just I don't know. There's a lot. We talked about this a little bit last time. That it there's a lot that's you know kind of silly in this movie, and there's a lot of other movies that I pick on for things like this. In this one, I'm going to let it go. Yeah, I'm but yes, like a like six foot caveman shaped chunk of ice, or I guess seven foot given his size, um, just like ten or so feet under the ground <laughs> in the middle of California. No, it doesn't. And, you know, like they, I realized because like I sort of said that last time when we were talking about it and then they try to explain it in the movie. Like, you know, like basically they're in school a little bit later and the science teachers like so like it turns out that there's underground glaciers even here in California. And it's like bullshit. No, there's not. It's like like, you know, like again, even if they are, they're probably like thousands of feet underground, not like 10 feet underground in the middle of like the – in Cedo Hills. <laughs> so let me establish this, right? So Sean Astin is in his backyard digging his own pool by hand. And I'm like, wait, yes. what? Yeah. He's got like a doing a dig- ridiculously good job. He's got like the, like the grade going down to yeah. like a shallow end to a deep end and everything I'm, like I'm that. I'm sitting there and I'm like, this guy has got like this crummy little shovel and he's digging his own pool. And then all of a sudden Pauly Shore shows up and the two of them are having conversation. I'm like, these two guys look way too old to be <laughs> in high school. Way it's too funny. Old. I feel like that's something that in a lot of teen TV shows and movies, like they've never been able to get away from that really well consistently. Um, and of course, it has to do with like labor laws and child labor laws and how you how long you can keep a minor on set and all this sort of thing. But yeah, no, they're like in their like early to mid twenties filming this. So like in, in stereotypical fashion, like all the teenagers of the school are all like definitely not teenagers. Yeah, no, they're definitely not of high school age. So, you know, Sean Ashton's character, who I think his name is Dave. Yeah, it's Dave. Yes. Um, he's, you know, talking about how he wants to be more than just a geek and he wants to, you know, be a remembered and whatever. So it's why, why he's digging this pool. And I'm like, dude, you don't have a lot of time to finish this pool, <laughs> fill it in and, you know, get all the pumps or whatever. But that's, you know, well, especially too. Cause like, this is like one of the first of many like teenage high school movie tropes that it's like, it's not surprising to see here. And again, like, it's funny. I was doing my normal thing of looking up Siskel and Ebert stuff because it's always so funny to, to listen to like their thoughts on these things from this time. And they're such a staple of, 90s cinema critique 
but you know, they're like, it's just like a plug and play of every sort of teen yeah. movie sort of trope you can come out with. And this one is like the height of too muchery with it because it's like, it, he's waited until like the last month of senior year. And now yeah. he needs to make a main name for himself. So like he could have like a superlative or, or you know, yeah. like whatever sort of thing. And it's like, it's so hokey, but like, it, it works too, you know? <laughs> it, it works. It does work. It is kind of funny. It is hokey. What's interesting about it, in my opinion, is in this particular movie, there's so many tropes in this movie. I was almost predicting lines before <laughs> they said it. Yeah. Um, the one thing that I did notice right out of the gate is Paulie Shore's character, which is his name is Stoney. Um, he's probably the most self-aware and like moral compass character in the whole movie. Everybody else other than Link, who we'll meet in a little while, is kind of a dick. Even even Dave is kind of a dick. But but Pauly Shore's character is like the only nice redeemable character in the movie other than – you know the Encino man himself well it's true and it's like you know when you start thinking about the plot of this movie and where it ultimately goes things like that um nothing that Dave is doing is like redeeming you know like he he's he's like if there's a villain to this plot you know like there's the bully or whatever but he's kind of his own worst enemy you know he he is he wants to get with the girl and he wants to be recognized, but he's not really doing anything to fulfill that outside right. of like digging this weird pool, which I don't, you know, like, I mean like cred, I guess if you like dig your own pool or something like that. But like, I think a lot of people would look at that and go like, wow, that's kind of a weird thing to have done or whatever, you know, even still, but you know, the main source of contention in this film between the two kind of main characters outside of link is that Link starts really kind of siding and kind of hanging out with Stoney. Right. And I think it's for the reason that you just said, that Stoney's kind of like, you know, he's basically like a hippie in the 90s, yeah. which I the funny part was like, I can definitely remember myself like around sixth grade having like a little bit of like a hippie kick too, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I feel like there's a bunch of people that went through a phase like that at that point. Um, and uh, I had kind of forgotten that about how he is this character, in this, but he's like, as you say, he's self-aware. He's kind of like, you know, very into like, rec- like very empathetic, recognizing other characters' feelings, mm-hmm. you know, very no violence. And Link sees something in that, plus the fun-loving side and the like kind of quirky, weird side and, and bonds with him and ultimately makes Dave very upset, you know, and of course we're getting way ahead in the plot of the film here, but I think it sets the course for the entire film. So yes, in a way, Paulie Shore's character despite like you might not be a Pauly Shore fan is kind of the more likable character. here. Yeah, it really is. I was very surprised. So now we're like on his, you know, Vespa moped riding through school. And it's like this huge sprawling campus of a yes. high school <laughs> and they're cutting through everybody. And, you know, Pauly Shore's doing his Pauly Shore thing. And, you know, Sean Aston's kind of just sitting on the back, <laughs> hanging on and, they pull over and we get our first little product placement of a Doritos bag perfectly placed. And it's, you know, I'm going to predate it. They had an icy product placement in that initial earthquake scene. <laughs> yes, they did. And, and we'll see the icy again later as yes. well. <laughs> um, but, you know, my first thought was once we get to the high school, 
is we, we meet a lot of the other high school characters and I'm like, wow, this is actually a legit ensemble cast. As we mentioned, it's like, oh, these are like really good actors in this movie that they got early on in their career. And we get into the classroom. And again, like I said, we're talking about the prehistoric man and we're sort of establishing this whole thing and, you know, the underground glaciers, as you said. Um, so this is like another great trope in movies like this. And this goes for like, I feel like any movie where there's like a teacher or school is like the teacher just so happens to be giving a lecture on like exactly what's going to be necessary or needed. Like they basically, again, it's like that Basil exposition thing. Yep. It's like that teacher's Mr. Exposition, because anytime you see him in this movie, he's talking about something directly related to like the characters exactly or the, what's happening. Or the yep. scenario or something like that. Very funny. Yeah, no, it's perfect, you know, and it's, it's a big trope, but it's really kind of funny, you know, the Cro-Magnon man and the whole thing. Um, and, you know, now we're after school, we're back at the pool, and, you know, the two of them are hanging out, and Dave is digging. He's like, wow, the ground is cold. <laughs> I had to laugh at this, but for the wrong reasons. It was such a good dopey observation. It's like, if you've ever dug a hole, like, usually the bottom of the hole is colder than, like, right. you know, like... You could the beach and, and dig a hole about... Ten inches deep, and wow, the ground is a little bit colder there. Gee, I yeah, wonder what's going on. This is a little bit of shoddy writing on this particular yeah. moment, at least. <laughs> so, so now we have this moment where where Dave finds this bowl, and uh, it has a particular name, like a, a Muasterian bowl. Yeah, I, uh, it's beyond me what exactly they were saying. And you were the one that had the. Uh, uh, subtitles up. <laughs> yeah, I had to pause it and, and catch what it was spelt like so that I knew what to write. And I'm like, wait a minute, is Paulie Shore, is Stoney our, our Morgan Freeman that's going to be able to explain <laughs> what's going to happen in this movie? And he knew exactly what kind of bowl it was from, no joke, like 15 feet away, standing above Dave yeah, yeah, yeah. and just looking down. And, you know, th- you know, there's this, another earthquake happens and they fumble with the bowl, and then Dave basically lands on top of what is this guy frozen in a block of ice in his in his pool. And now here's the interesting thing that they did a little bit differently than other tropes in movies. Initially, they tried to alert their his mom that they found something down there. And she was like, wasn't paying attention. And then, <laughs> but then they totally shifted. We're like, wait a minute. Now we can't tell anybody. Well, you just tried to tell your mom. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, now you can't. Oh, now it's got to be this big secret. And which is funny, too, because again, I had sort of like forgotten some of like their dialogue or motivations. And they sort of like are talking about like, oh, like we could like probably make like money on this and like, you know, like whatever. And it's like, no, we should like use it to be cool in high school, you know, sort of thing. <laughs> but then they still don't really like tell anybody about it. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, like you said, you know, Dave kind of thinks like this is his one chance to be cool with this guy this caveman that he found, but they don't want to tell anybody it's a caveman. And they have this conversation about Jeopardy and like trivia. And I had this flashback to white men can't <laughs> jump. And I'm like, wait a minute. We've reviewed two movies in the last couple of months, both where one of the characters is some sort of savant, like knowledgeable person. And it relates to Jeopardy. I'm like was Jeopardy that big in the nineties that it was like a big trope. I mean, it certainly was, but like, it is funny that, that, 
it popped up like that for sure. I think probably, you know, like as, and I'm probably going to get the date wrong of when, like, like when did Who Wants to Be a Millionaire come out? Was that like 2000s or was that late 90s? I would say it's got to be late, late 90s. I think like when right. that came out, like that was like the big thing. Like everybody's yeah. like, oh, did you see Millionaire this week? You know, like I think Jeopardy is that to early 90s. I mm-hmm. think basically that and Wheel, you know, like you did, right. you, you always did the two in a row, like Jeopardy and Wheel. That's true. Um, so still but, to this uh, day, weird enough. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but it's just like, I think that became like the source of like, well, like Alex Trebek and that show are the smartest thing on TV. So, you know, I think that just becomes like where that is, but it is funny that like two movies almost nearly in a row, like directly referenced it. <laughs> yeah. Pretty funny. So now they're digging out this, you know, block of ice with a guy inside of it. And somehow they figured out how to build some sort of like a-frame scaffolding, you know, pulley system to pull this giant block of ice out of this pool, you know, and and I'm like these like stoner physics. They're figuring out how to pull yes. this thing out. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was pretty wild. And you know, then they, you know, you see the block of ice, and you're like, wow, this looks really fake. <laughs> it looks really cheesy. But all right, was- fun fact. Okay. That's a block of ice. <laughs> yes. So, so what's funny about it is, um, you know, like most times in a movie like this, when you'd make a prop for something like that, you'd put a dummy in like a block of resin or, or something along those lines, you know, some sort of other plastic just to kind of like, you know, like have it available on set. You know, even for you and I, like learning, you know, the basics of film and photography, it's like, oh, Anytime you ever see a movie where they got like a glass, you know, like an advertisement where they got a glass of ice, it's all fake ice. You know, it's all plastic ice and things because real ice melts. This was a real block of ice. It cost them $50,000 out of their budget and multiple attempts to make this um, chunk of ice. But they were insistent on having it be a realistic maybe not to you, looking block of ice. But the funny part was as they started doing it, and of course, if you've ever made ice in your own home refrigerator, ice fills up with little bubbles of air and it becomes very hard to see through. It's not transparent. It's usually pretty opaque. So they had to really experiment over the course of like, you know, several weeks to get um, the look of it to look where you could even see the caveman. So that they have like basically a big fuzzy dummy inside it and then it's actually – like ice that they had to go through several different like iterations to try and get it just right. So you could actually see into it. Cause the first two, I think they said you couldn't see that there was something inside it at all. So hmm. just kind of a, a funny thing. So I was glad you, uh, you, you said that. Interesting. <laughs> so now they're trying to figure out how to thaw it. And Stoney's first move is just to like breathe on it. Like, <laughs> <sighs> I'm like, Wait, this guy is is a stoner and a genius and an idiot at the same time. I'm like, yeah. what is going on? Um, and and then the you know you know Dave's like, oh, no one can know about this. It's all like the, the big trope. Like, oh, we got to keep this a secret. This is the whole thing. And I'm just like, oh boy, here we go. And so now. Where was it's I? funny too that they decided to like thaw him out because like if you ever catch like any of the actual actual cavemen that they've found in ice like they did you know what i mean like they're like dead and half rotted and like whatever so i was like i was so wondering like what their hope was for thawing this out that like this like rotting corpse was gonna fall out (laughs) 
in, in ten feet deep of ice. It, it sure worked out well for them that an actual living guy came out. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. So now they they literally say in one breath, "We got to keep this a secret." The very next scene, yeah. Dave is trying to go to Robin and be like, "You got to come over. I got a caveman in my garage. <laughs> you got to see it. It'll be great. You'll love it." And it's like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> she thinks he's crazy. I'm like, "Oh my god, he is. This is not." Well, it's funny too because in your note here, you mentioned that it's like a weird pickup line, and like he is in fact like tr- like it's a little fuzzy to me. It sounds like they were like childhood friends. Yeah. Well, it they, almost we much later. Sounds like they used to date. I can't remember what the actual read on that was or if they had started to or something like that. But like, he's been like essentially trying to get back with her and she's had like fairly little interest. Yeah. I think basically they, they, later on in the movie that they've got like a baby picture together and she's like, who won't <laughs> you see this? And she did. And like, he he's I guess been in love with her since she was a kid, or they've been kids, and I don't know the whole thing. Well, he says too because like like this is again like probably another thing worth pointing out because I'm sure we will. This movie is not fitting the 30 year prism when it comes to like sexualizing women. Oh and, like, yeah, it's you a- know like um, you know objectifying women and all this sort of thing, and he just has like all these like lame come ons of like. Hey, look! It's you and me naked in a tub together, you know, and like things like that. And like, I'm amazed that she doesn't just like slap him and be like, "You perv!" Like, she's right. like, like, "We're not friends anymore, dude." Like, this yeah, now, yeah. It's, but it's, it does beg the question: Why they were naked in a tub together? Like, even at the age they were at, like, I don't think that's generally done unless your parents and like you are like super duper tight. Like, yeah, maybe cousins at most. I feel like usually siblings for that sort of a picture. Kind of weird that it's just friends bathing together. Yeah, their little it's, it's it's an odd odd moment. So <laughs> now there we we cut back to the garage and the ice block is thawing out because they've set up all these space heaters to melt the ice and there's just giant chunks falling off and oh boy here he comes our cable yeah. <laughs> coming and now we meet Matt the bully. And he drags Dave out and staples him to a wall, <laughs> which I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, those are some serious staples. Yeah. <laughs> I can just about get like a uh, cable cord to stick to a wall with those staples, yeah. let alone an entire human. <laughs> oh, that was pretty impressive. Um, and then he writes, eat me on his head, which is pretty a pretty classic 90s, like, yeah, straight out of Bart Simpson's mouth. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and then pulls the fire alarm, and then Tubi came to commercial for me. <laughs> nice. Now, is this your first Tubi commercial? That was the first one of this movie. Yes, before other than the opening, you know. Nice. <laughs> so we cut back to everybody's laughing, and we see him stapled to the wall, and the whole thing, and it's it's kind of funny, and it's. It's in a way weird at the same time as it is funny that it way, the way he's stapled there is kind of strange. So now the ice is completely melted and the caveman is thawed. My first thought was, 
other than his teeth being dirty, he's got <laughs> perfect teeth for a caveman. Yeah, yeah, probably a fair point. <laughs> and again, I realize he's a young-ish caveman, but like, yeah, not exactly like dental hygiene uh, yeah. period of history. <laughs> sure. So he's, it's funny too because besides that, also his like he Brandon Fraser has like very like like kind of like bright like eyes too, yes, and so like eyes, you know like amidst all that like mud and like dreadlocks and like all that sort of thing, like the teeth and the eyes definitely like really like poke out. So I definitely know what you mean there. Yeah. So he's now kind of walking around. He comes out of this garage, and I mean he's confused. But he doesn't seem completely overwhelmed with. His yeah, he sort of is totally... taking it fairly well. Like yeah. he's really taking it in stride. Like he's kind of doing caveman things, but like you know, like like the one of the very first shots, and it was in the trailer, is he kind of like climbs up the hill of the pool, and like here's Encino sprawling out before him, and he's kind of just like, okay, you know, like <laughs> there's sort of like no like Ugh! or like whatever like reaction to him freaking out. Yeah, there's nothing like that. And but then he steps on a rake and gets hit in the f- head or hit in the face and gets kind of knocked down or knocked unconscious. Then he meets so, the dog and starts playing with the dog. And go ahead. Worth pointing out here, um, and again, like you and I were sort of chatting a little bit last time about like sort of the downfall of Brendan's um, career. And one of the things that um, comes into play with that, and it starts right here in this film is that for years, even into the mummy and other things, like he basically does all of his own stunts. Um, So there's a lot of things that he does in this movie, like getting hit in the face by a rake that are like him getting hit in the face by a rake. So um, he actually like part of the reason why his career kind of like fizzled at a point is he racked up a lot of physical injuries, like particularly like spinal injuries and things like that. So um, again, like good on you, Brendan, but like, you know, take it easy in the future. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was straight up got a concussion on that moment, but it's crazy. Um, so the first real moment where he sort of freaks out is when he sees a helicopter. And as you said, he climbs up that dirt mound and sort of like screams at the helicopter. Um, you know, it, it's, it's sort of, I mean, he starts hearing a, a, a delivery man show up and he grabs the shovel again. <laughs> who knows if he knew what a shovel was, but he had it. And, you know, he's chasing after the, the delivery guy and sort of freaks out. Um, what I did find funny was he goes to drink water that's running down the street and he finds that gross, like the taste of the water gross. <laughs> but he doesn't really freak out at the cars until he sees a garbage truck. Yeah, again, it's, it's kind of like – and I'll even refer back to Siskel and Ebert. You know, like one of the things about Link in this film, and I guess you could make any sort of argument about what a caveman would actually act like – but his reactions to things aren't necessarily the most realistic. Um, you know, like he kind of just starts taking things in stride and eventually he just feels like a foreign exchange student. He just feels like a teenager that doesn't know the language, you know right. what I mean, or the customs. Um, he, as you sort of said, you know, like the teacher even says like, oh, 
cavemen were super violent and territorial and all this. And again, you don't really see that with him. Like he's just kind of like goes with the flow, you know, like he, he does like fish out of water things like eating dog food or like, you know, uh, licking water out of a, out of the side of the street or whatever. But to your point, it is inconsistent sort of how he handles and reacts to various stimuli. And, you know, he sort of treats that garbage truck like as if like, he like it even shows like flashes like as if it's, as if it's like a mammoth he's fighting. Yeah. So like, you know, like he must feel like the shovel's like a spear and he's fighting the mammoth or something like that. Um, but why the cars don't. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, it is kind of like a weird again, like leave your brain at the door sort of yeah. scenario, but you would almost picture him freaking out way more in these at least opening scenes than he actually truly does. Yeah. And now we get inside of the house again. How does he get inside the house? He'd never seen a door before, but okay, sure. Whatever. <laughs> fine. No problem. Um, he accidentally steps on the TV remote. And we get, uh, like, the Terminator is the first thing that he sees on television. <laughs> and he doesn't freak out that there's a TV or anything. He's just sort of like, oh. He's kind of like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then he, like, steps on it again. And he's, we cut to MTV. And we get the first moment where we where we see the Encino Man or Link dance. And this becomes a thing throughout the movie where he loves to dance and I don't understand why. Like I can't understand. <laughs> I'm trying to understand what is the the meaning behind the dancing. It's funny and it's clever, but I don't get it. Um, and now we get this moment where Dave and Stoney arrive home and they go in the garage and they find that the thing is all melted and he's not there. And they think that he melted. Like they're like, oh my God, he melted away. It's just like <laughs> crazy. And they go inside the house and the smoke alarm goes off. And we find out that he is in Dave's room trying to start a fire. And they find him. And, you know, they realize that he's alive. And they, there's sort of like this whole freak out moment. And there's like cave drawings all up the stairs, all over his room. Later on, they don't ever show them cleaning that off. <laughs> the parents come home and nobody knows anything about any of that cave drawing stuff. And they're all pretty chill. Because they like find him like lighting a fire in his yeah. bedroom. And it's yeah. like, yeah, quite quite a damaged bedroom at that point. Yeah. It's so bizarre. And then what really freaks him out, or all of them in that matter, is when the phone rings. <laughs> and like they have this whole sequence which is really funny with the phone and he's like smashing it and yelling at it and and that's pretty clever but then again stony our like genius savant stoner pulls out a lighter well he's like he's about to like rush sean astin i, I think he had something like in his hands like he's gonna like hit him with something because they were trying to like approach him calmly when the phone and everything went off. Yeah. yeah. And so then he yeah, pulls out the lighter and the lighter like instantly calms him. And, he's yeah. and then I think Paulie sure says the funniest line of the whole movie. He goes, flamage. <laughs> so I got to say, this is a turnaround from you going last week. Like, Oh, Paulie Shore, I hate him. I hate him. Like that's Paulie Shore. It's just like I adding know. a G E to the end of like any word ever. I know it is. I know <laughs> it is, but it is in that moment that made me laugh. Oh, no, it I, does. And like, I think it works 
again, like I said, like I'm not like the biggest Pauly Shore fan ever, but out of like the carrot top Rob Schneider Pauly Shore thing, like he's definitely the best of that bunch. And uh, and again, I just thought you know like he's a lot of lines in this that like are um, fun and funny. And I think one of the ways it works because if you just had him all movie just doing that, doing that, that's fine, that's him. But what what's so great is like the monkey see monkey do sort of nature of Link starts repeating. Yeah. Oh yeah. Stuff. And they and they even point that out later on in the movie where Dave goes, "You got him talking like you yeah. now." <laughs> <laughs> but like you know, I noticed next year in your notes, you feel like they teach him the word no, and they we got to teach him how to wheeze, you know, like the whole weasel thing. Yes. But what's great, and I don't know who made this decision. I don't know if it was the director. I don't know if it was Brandon Fraser. But Brandon Fraser's voice is like this, like real froggy, low voice throughout the movie, and that's what kills me the entire movie like i had forgotten so many of these great lines that they have like you know throughout the film where it's just him repeating nonsense but in that like weird little voice so it's like oh we're gonna teach him like no he's like no no (laughs) you know like 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 this and eventually you get like the whole like wheeze the juice you know like all these like (laughs) ridiculous like you know lines coming out in that like weird little voice and it like that's what kills me like i love it so, was the weasel created for this movie, or was this was that no, the MTV? That's a Pauly Shore thing. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's like a pers- like his like like his persona. He's like, oh, I'm, I'm the weasel. You know, like like that's that's that, and I don't know why he calls it the weasel. You know, he obviously does that like chittering noise with it. Like, mm. I just I don't know. I don't I don't. I mean, like again, like you fall out of '90s lingo. Like the longer you get away yeah. from the '90s, but like. You know, he sort of created like a lot of like, you know, I mean, one of the funny things about this movie is like there's a lot of early 90s on display from the music to the to the clothes to the like lingo that people are using. It's like, holy cow, they had some serious um, like lines and things in this where I'm like, man, I might have heard that in 92 and never again, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. like it's just a lot of really funny language that they put into this. And I'm like, where did, you know, like, you know, I was starting to think like maybe the director had like some kids and was picking up like some of the lingo from them or something, but it was pretty funny, like where some of this stuff was. But of course, Pauly Shore, like I said, kind of a force of nature onto his own with like half the stuff he comes up with. So I think it's just like, yeah, just, I don't know, just the weasel thing is his is whole Okay. So next they decide, like, again, like you said, he's literally as if it was a couple hours later from being in his cave in, you know, from being frozen to unfrozen. Brendan Fraser is still covered in dirt and mud. So they decide, let's give him a bath. And I'm like, wow, this is a huge tub that they put him in. And they literally poured like every possible bathing chemical they put <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's great because they like look at like shampoo and they're like, nah. And they just start like pouring in like basically like Ajax or something. <laughs> like all sorts of stuff. They in, like Listerine, like you name it. Anything. And they of course, could. it's playing too sexy, which is. Also, another ultimate nineties. Oh yeah, musical for sure. Piece. Same time. <laughs> They're even brushing his teeth, and I'm like, he needs more than one brushing to get those teeth clean. But they came purely white. <laughs> one brush. Funny enough, this goes again to like another little fun fact. Like some of the stuff that he was going pretty extreme on. He's chewing on bath beads in that scene. Mm-hmm. 
and they're actually bath beads. <laughs> really? Yeah, like they didn't give him something else. He's actually chewing on real life bath beads. So like the faces that he's making, I'm sure are genuine reactions to what that would actually be. Jeez. Oh, so now like they go in to like shave him and everything and the Encino man starts drinking the shave, the aftershave. Yeah. And <laughs> then we get the big reveal of his clothes and his haircut and he looks insane. But then I paused for a second and I'm like, I don't necessarily know if this was as insane as it, as I think it is now because people may have dressed like that in California in no, that for year. a fact, like the clothes are definitely pretty era on like for that point, especially like California skater style. Yeah. Um, and I would even say the same thing about the hair. Like, you know, you look at it and it's like this kind of like mix of like longish hair plus like some light dreadlocks that they sort of leave in. And it's like definitely like surfer, skater sort of look. Um, put, a, put a pin in the hair thing because I want to talk about that later as well. Because there's a, fair there's, enough. There's a couple fun of fact about that. the clothes, though. Every lick of clothes that you see him in in this film are custom made for him by the wardrobe department. They're really? Not, not a single piece of off-the-rack clothing. And it's because he's, like, so muscular tall. and 6'3", that they were, like, instead of trying to find these kind of, like, clothes that would, you know, make sense to, like, what he'd be dressing like, it was just easier for us to make them. So they just basically made every wow. single piece of his clothing for the film. That's cool. So now they're trying to think about what to name him or what to call him. And, and they had this whole funny scene where, you know, Dave comes up with Link as if he's, you know, the missing Link. But when he's trying to teach Link his name, he's getting like the the the, the translation is getting confused, and Link is calling himself Dave. He's like, no, 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 you Link me Dave. Like and it was this whole funny <laughs> thing. I mean, it's cheesy, but it kind of made me laugh. And then. You know, Stoney goes, let's call him Linkage. And I was yeah. like, oh, God. There's that AGE again. Here we go. It's like if you want to be Pauly Shore, you just have to war- put AGE on any word. And there you go. <laughs> so I have this note where it says we start to see how smart he is. And and I think I'm referring to Link because he does sort of do sort- certain things where he's figuring things out really, really quickly. Yeah, he picks up on stuff pretty quick. Yeah, pretty quick. Um, I do like that they're trying to teach him stuff, and they want to see how smart he is, and they, they do like the the magic trick of like the fake finger disconnect thing. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like that was a classic '90s like you know uncle trick. Like hey, yeah, yeah, take <laughs> my finger, guys. <laughs> I don't. That made me laugh. Um, So now the parents get home and they're trying to hide him. But I'm like, how are you going to hide him? You just spent hours and hours and hours (laughs) cleaning him up. He's destroyed your house, essentially. And basically they, you know, they sneak Link and Stoney out of his room. And Dave is in the kitchen. The kitchen is a mess. It is a mess. And I guess we're supposed to assume Link must have wrecked it when he was there by himself, but we don't see it prior to this scene. And, you know, basically he's standing there like, oh, I want to cook you guys dinner. And then we get a commercial. <laughs> so yeah. I'm like, okay, cool. So now moments later we get the doorbell ring 
and it's Stony and Link, and they're like they kind of invite themselves in, and you know they do this thing like, oh hey Link, meet your new family, and you're just like, wait, what? Yeah. And and you know they call him Linkovich, the foreign exchange student from Estonia, and somehow. They convince the parents to believe <laughs> that they actually sign up for an exchange student. And please note, there's like one week left of school at this point. Yeah, yeah. So and it, it, it is. It's really funny. And and again, like something where you got to kind of check your brain. But it's it's like it's great because essentially the entire thing that they had to do to trick the parents was basically to be like, "Oh, don't you remember? You said it was okay." And it's like, of course, they'd be like, no, like I would have remembered something like that. And the sister the whole time is going like, you're not actually believing this, are you? <laughs> and, and my first thought when I heard that was this little sister is basically playing the sister in Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Like <laughs> calling out all the BS and almost to the point where she even sounds like her at, at points. I'm just like, wait a minute. <laughs> She's playing the sister in Ferris Bueller here. Come on. And somehow the dad actually thinks that he really believes that he committed to this exchange student thing. And boom, we move on from there. And now we get, you know, as you said earlier, we start seeing another couple of scenes where they're talking about, you know, essentially objectifying women. I'm like, oh, this doesn't translate 30 years later. And and they're, and they're trying to, like, teach him things about girls. and Bazongas. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> and then they take a Polaroid selfie. And I was like, wait a minute. They took a selfie. Look at that. What do you know? Pretty cool. So now we get to the next day. And they're bringing Link to school with him because they want to get him enrolled in school. Because... Sure. One, yeah. <laughs> week, one week before school ends and they graduate high school. But yeah. And somehow they forged all of his documents and got him in no problem. And yeah, he's great. He's got all his shots or whatever. And, <laughs> yeah. <know. laughs> that is funny when that comes back later. It's like like they basically stole the dog's like rabies paperwork. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, they get him enrolled and – he starts climbing the walls as they're enrolling him. Like, like, wait, what? Where did that come from? It's so crazy. He does like that, like handstand backflip, like off the yeah. wall and all that. <laughs> so, so now we start really seeing a little bit deeper into the two friends of Dave and Stony, and essentially, Dave wants to just use him to be cool, and Stony basically says, "I want to just be his friend. Like, I want to just be nice." And this is when I really realized that Stoney is like the moral compass of this movie and everybody else is kind of a jerk. And like you said, then he does this handstand flip thing and yeah. <laughs> you know, he starts sniffing a girl's hair really briefly <laughs> and then he says the gazongas line and you know, <laughs> so bizarre. And, you know, it's just weird. Like all these different things happen and he starts doing cave drawings again um, out of nowhere. And I, and I said, like, he loves dancing. He sees, like, a couple of guys kind of listening to hip-hop music in the hallway and starts dancing, no problem. And then 
they bring him to Spanish class. Like he doesn't <laughs> even speak English yet, but let's bring him to Spanish. All class. Right, can I tell you something? Because I had forgotten that this movie is where this came from, but another one of these like lifelong quotes that I use constantly is <laughs> just like, again, like the cheese is old and moldy. <laughs> Which way to the bathroom? You know, like, uh, like honest to goodness, and you can ask Ange. Like, we'll, I'll get in like the the refrigerator, and like the cheese will have like a little bit, like we'll have some piece of old cheese in there that's like starting to grow a little bit of mold on it. We haven't thrown it out soon enough or something, and I'll I'll literally be like. The cheese is old and moldy. <laughs> it's like I was so happy to reconnect that to this film because I had completely forgotten that that's where I got it from. That's. That's a bizarre pull, my friend. I, I don't know. Something about that to me when I was younger and apparently still now just like reverberates that like <laughs> that you'd be in a Spanish class like the cheese is old and moldy. Like who's going to teach that no. in any Spanish class? Exactly. Such a weird line. And it's great because then it comes up later in like the bar scene and like the guy like interprets it to like mean like, yeah, maybe I should leave my girlfriend. <laughs> it's just like it's so ridiculous. I love it. It is pretty funny. So now the the best friend character, who's kind of got the hots for Link, tells them to bring Link to Blades tonight. And at first I'm like, I don't know what the heck Blades is. Again, early 90s, you can infer. (laughs) I guess so, you know, but, you know, we'll get there in a few minutes. If you're sitting on your Sega Genesis and playing Skitchin... Or if you're playing your uh, Streets of Rage three with the guy whose name is literally Blades and you know scoots around on rollerblades the whole time. But this was hockey. <laughs> this was ice. That place. It's ice is not rollerblades. Uh, it's all the same <laughs> semantics. So now we get to the convenience store, and and Stony is showing Link all about snacks and food and a microwave. And again, Link has. He's just like rolling with it, like, oh, cool. This clickety clockety button thing that cooks food and, you know, <laughs> bags of wrappers of stuff and no problem whatsoever. And Stoney says this thing, I, I, I kind of missed even what he was referencing. But he was meat group. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Yeah, well, because he's like trying to teach him about the food group. So like, first of all, there's a few things in this scene that are genius because it's a nothing scene. It's nonsense. But one of the great things that like watching this again just kind of cracks me up is like they go in and he's going to cook this frozen burrito. And he asks the guy like, how long to microwave the burrito? And the guy's like, minute and a half. He's like, you sure? He's like, yeah, minute and a half. And then, like, he's, like, in the meantime, like, showing it. He's like, all right, you got your basic food groups. And he's like, you know, your veggie group. And, like, it's, like, it's got, like, fruit roll-ups or something yeah. like that, you know. And it's, like, he's just going through, like, all the food groups trying to, like, get him, like, up to speed. Then, like, the meat group, you know. It's, like, the, and then, like, the microwave dings. He's like, there's the meat group. And, of course, like, the thing is still frozen in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and, the guy, and you just hear the guy, like, at the counter go, like, two minutes. <laughs> <laughs> It's so great. It's so stupid and pointless. But it's like, you know, we have, um, you know, clerks coming along in another couple of years here. And it's like, that's like that type of writing that I love. Like, it's just like it has nothing to do with the plot of the film. It's just like this total like nonsense other thing, you know, and it's just like it's just great. I love that. (laughs) I I, I don't think clerks is going to be in the top 
you know, li- unless you want to add it to the list. Oh, I'm me. absolutely vetoing whatever's that month to put clerks in. <laughs> okay, fine, fine, fine. Um, so next we get another shot of the icy machine. And probably clerks will be the Miramax of the month. <laughs> oh, I would assume so. Yeah, I actually think clerks does pretty well when it finally comes out because that had a lot of steam from Sundance and things. But I don't want to get off on that tangent yet. <laughs> we got a couple of years for that. Yeah. So we get the line of wheeze in the juice. Yeah. <laughs> and the, wheeze the juice. <laughs> and the clerk is like, no wheeze in the juice. No wheeze in the juice. Yeah. I, again, like it's it's a great scene the whole way around. Like you could really just have a movie of like the two of them doing things together. And like, that's fine enough. But it's just like, I love his explanation. Like he's like, He's like explaining to this clerk, like, oh, we're going to hang out on the mountain. So I thought we could just wheeze some juice. No wheezing the juice. Wheeze the juice. You know, like, <laughs> no wheeze the juice. It's just like, it's utter nonsense, but it like works so well. I it love does it. work. And somehow Link gets a pair, of, a pair of sunglasses. I didn't see them pay for it, but he just sort of walks out. Yeah. yeah. And then he comes back into the, you know, convenience store and he goes, I'll be back. Yes. <laughs> That same weird. And he also acquires like the zinc, like on his nose, like yes. at some point that too. <laughs> oh, yeah, we we cut to them on a roller coaster, and he's got zinc on his nose for sunscreen. And I'm like, did did Stony put that on his nose? Like, I don't know. Presumably, <laughs> I would assume so. And we go through this entire like amusement park montage, which is really kind of funny. And and they they had a lot of fun filming it. And it's just like, all right. So fun fact. They did not have a lot of fun filming it. <laughs> or at least Polly Shore didn't. So Polly Shore hates roller coasters. And uh, they, you know, as you do, have to like, like, all right, well, we're going to move the camera now. And he'd be like, oh, damn it. Like, you know, he was getting like really mad apparently during the days that they were doing that because they kept sending them down actual roller coasters over and over. It's not like they're blue screening them or something. And basically he was getting literally sick and figuratively sick of, of filming those scenes. So no kidding. Yes. <laughs> wow. Shows what I know. Yeah. <laughs> but I was going to say, Paulie Shore does look kind of scared on the close up shot. Of the coaster. <laughs> He's just like freaking out, but it seemed like, like just an entertaining kind of series of shots. And it's kind of funny, but like, to me, it looked like, this is Stony showing Link his world and like this is what I love and this is, you know, kind of making him feel, you know, of the time, so to speak, which is kind of interesting. Yeah, well, it also goes back to like what you were saying between the two main characters, which is that like Stony genuinely just wants him to be his friend. Yeah. Like there's all there is to it. Like he doesn't want to use him. He doesn't want to get money or fame or whatever. Like he just like wants to hang out and have fun. And like, that's, that's what they're doing, you know? (laughs) And then they come back from the amusement park and Link is now saying lines like Stony. And then that's where Dave goes, Oh, you got him talking like you now. It's it's really funny. (laughs) So they're having dinner at the Morgans and, you know, the mother is saying, oh, Stoney, are you going to eat here? He's like, of course I am, you know, obviously. And this is where we get this moment where Link is searching for the fly <laughs> and he catches a fly and then he eats it. Then he's eating. Right, that's the little part I sung for you last time. <laughs> yeah. And then he's eating the food of the dog bowl. But if you noticed, it's that same ancient bowl they found in the pool. And it's like. Now, I'm happy to report that he's not actually eating dog food here, despite. 
the fact that he was eating the bath beads earlier. Um, and there's also an interview where he was joking about like eating the dog food. He's actually eating cookie crisp, which was a, you know, popular cereal yeah. during this time. <laughs> he, he didn't go full method on that one. He didn't go. Did not. No, they, they cut him a break and they gave him some cookie crisp to chew on. But that means the dog was eating cookie crisp. So the, that might not have been great for the dog. <laughs> so now we get to the, the hockey rink, which is known as Blades. And, you know, he starts cave drawing with ketchup and mustard on the thing. And pretty good drawing, too. <laughs> yeah, I was very ta- like, wow, this is pretty talented. And the girl is full on hitting on him. But he's sort of describing his his love that he lost in the cave, I guess. Right. Yes. Which I thought was kind of interesting. And, and she kind of goes from hitting on him to being like, oh, do you miss your girl or whatever sort of thing? Yeah, it's sort of weird. It's like a weird, you know, transition for her. But, it, you know, it's fine. It, it's, I think she kind of picked up that he wasn't picking up on her. Um, and now Matt, the bully, shows up again and pulls Dave onto the ice moments after Dave shows Robin the, the bathtub photo. And they're kind of talking together. And, and it's probably worth mentioning because I f- – forget if we did that essentially the bully and Robin are dating. Yes. Uh, as these things usually go in these right. films. She's this a overly nice girl, girl, this overly terrible guy and it doesn't ever make any sense. Yeah, it's always that way. You know, that he's the, you know, but that's why he had gotten stapled up on the wall earlier is basically like he had seen them talking and he's like, leave, you know, leave her alone again. He's like, if I see you with her again, it's going to be a problem. So that cuts to then this scene, why he's now going to like beat him up essentially. Yeah. So Link sees that Dave is being picked on and kind of goes over to, you know, Matt. And you think he's going to go full caveman on him and just kind of beat the heck out of Matt. But instead, he just sort of stands there and Matt punches him in the face and kind of hurts Link pretty bad. And Well, kind of. I mean, like, you know, sort of the takeaway is like he hits him. And he kind of takes the punch and everybody's like, wow, like nobody's ever survived Matt hitting them before, you know, like apparently this guy's killed people before. Or whatever. Yeah, he's, seriously, he's got, you know, a super punch, you know, he's like, a, yeah. you know, street fighter. And then they realize that Link is a pacifist. He's not a maniac caveman like they were teaching in class, um, which is which is pretty funny and interesting. Now, again. Dave selfishly wants to teach Link how to defend himself. And and they do it through this montage of VHS tapes of WWF wrestling. Yeah. And like, you know, fighting movies and stuff like that. Which again is hilarious because it's like Dave of all people teaching somebody how to defend themselves after he just got hauled out on onto the ice and thrown yeah. down in the whole nine yards. But again, you know, Stoney has to be the voice of reason being like, you know, why are you doing this? Like, why do you want him to be like a fighter? He's not, this is not who he is. And then there's this funny moment where like, they want Link to smash a board and they smash, then Link smash. Well, it basically goes into like another montage, I think like, yeah, like they're kind of doing like the training montage you'd see in in one of these sort of movies. on Rocky thing where like, he's going to eat the drink, the egg yolks, but instead Link eats the egg shells, which is again, bonkers and crazy <laughs> now we get to this sequence where we're back in the school and i think this was in the trailer where like link eats a like a from like a 
formaldehyde frog or something like that. Yeah, he pulls it out of the jar and cooks it over the Bunsen burner. Yeah, which is pretty funny. And we get this other, like, school montage of, like, Link being popular and cool and meeting people and, you know, the whole whole thing. And it's very cliche to pass time. And everybody likes and respects Link uh, for standing up to Matt and not, and just being tough. And and sort of like, you know, everyone sort of now looks looks less at Matt. Like, they don't really respect him or they're not really afraid of him anymore. Um, and we get to this moment where we get to a museum and link starts freaking out when he sees all the fossilized you know woolly mammoths and the dinosaurs and the saber-toothed tigers and in particular like the the caveman scene so to speak yeah well so again that same like exposition teachers there again he's like very poignantly with Link standing in the back of the group saying like, oh, you know, if a Cro-Magnum man was here with you on a bus, you wouldn't even be able to tell the difference, you know, sort of thing. And it's like, yeah, it it starts to hit home for him that like, you know, everything he, you know, he's having a fun time with his new friends, but everything he knew is gone. gone. Yeah. And he sort sort of like rescinds back into like his base mind and realizes, like you said, his world is gone. And, you know, they they find him sort of in this scene where there's other cave people like, you know, you know, in a cave, in, in a cave. <laughs> and, <you> do. <laughs> yeah. And he's trying to, like, make fire. And Matt sort of sees this sort of thing and is curious by it. And Stoney, again, being the voice of reason, uh, you know, acknowledges that he needs help and they need to go help him and make him feel okay with his reality that he just you know figured out that he everything he knew is gone and you know they're trying to help link and and kind of like calm him down and let them know that like they're his family now and they'll take care of him and and that sort of like ends that scene and then we jump to the driver's ed scene and i'm curious of your take on this scene <laughs> I thought it was hilarious and wild. No, it's great. I mean, it's, you know, again, like you have to check your brain at the door, but like apparently, like as you said, with like this last like week or two of school, they've apparently enrolled him in driver's ed because here's yeah. his name in the roster to like drive the car. Yeah. And one thing that we've neglected to mention is that he's very into the old Genesis game Rad Racer. Every time they go to the arcade, he like wants to play Rad Racer. Um, so like he sees the car and he's like, Oh, real life rad racer. <laughs> so he wants to like, you know, drive the car. So, you know, he pops the thing up onto two wheels and he's driving through the whole campus. Um, and basically through all parts of Los Angeles on two wheels. Yeah. Racket. I mean, they leave the campus. Yeah. And I love too, that like the teachers who witnessed it, like one of them's like, you know, like, I got the license plate. It's like, <laughs> like of course, it's like the driver's ed car. It's like a school car. They would, they would have that information. <laughs> um, but it's funny too because like it's so struck a, a chord when they're like, "All right, who wants to drive today?" And everybody's like, "Ugh," you know, like like that was like me in driver's ed. Like everybody, like they, they, they we'd have like I think four of us in the car. Yeah, and the driver's ed person would be like, "Who wants to drive?" And everybody'd be like, "Ugh," and I'm like, "Ooh, ooh, ooh." So like, <laughs> I very much related to Link because I always wanted to drive. <laughs> 
same here. We it was me and, and three other guys, and it was always one guy that wanted to drive more than and the three of us would just sit in the back seat. And he would just take us like wherever, <laughs> all over the place. Like this is great. Just gotta get chauffeured around for two hours. Yeah, it was pretty funny. So now they like find a nightclub, and Link wants to go dancing again, and it's it's this funny scene where Link where like Link is dancing. Stony meets these guys and he's doing shots with them, and you know they they're using the weasel reference several times, and in like a brief moment, like suddenly Robin now likes Dave out of nowhere. Yeah, and again, it's probably worth pointing out for anybody who hasn't watched that basically Stony and Dave jumped up from the class that they were in when they saw Link out the window and like ran and like dove in the windows of the car. As oh yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, they do. That's they basically do. how they get to the bar. And then Robin was already in the car. In the car, yeah. Head. That's right. I neglected to put that in. Yes. No so, worries. So yeah, Robin's in the car with Link and the two of them kind of go after her. So the four of them are going off in this, you know, essentially stolen car. And, you know, it's – it's sort of a weird scene where like she sort of likes him, but like I don't know, it bothered me. Like it it, it doesn't work with what happens later on. Th- Sorry. Yeah, I mean I think part of it because like there's this sort of like everybody's really into Link because he's like this mysterious foreign exchange student and he's handsome and whatever. But I think essentially where Robin has a little bit of a turnaround on it is when and this is why I figured I'd bring it up. Like Dave comes like running and diving through the window of the car to like help his friend. And all of a sudden she's like, oh, I didn't expect something like that of you. Cause she's used to him just kind of being like the schlubby guy who doesn't do anything, you right. know? So I think like in a way, like he, he finally like proved himself in, in, in a respect. Yeah. So, you know, again, this is now later on in the day and somehow, you know, Matt and his cronies break into the, you know, high school records and find Link's file, and then they realize, like, <laughs> like the dog's, you know, vaccination records are what they use for for Link's records. And now we cut back to the bar, and we've got all these sort of weird things happening. Link drinks like hot sauce or like or like salsa or something like that. And yeah, he just like grabs a bowl of salsa. <laughs> yeah, and just chugs it and spits it out, and then starts freaking out, and then suddenly lands in a conga line, which comes out of nowhere and you know, as you said you know link is speaking spanish to these these guys well, so again so it's important like to like essentially the guy came Maybe. over and was like you see that woman over there like that's my girl don't touch like, her don't let me catch you looking at her or anything and of course it cuts to link like just like completely like peeping over her and he like snatches her off the wall and like brings her out on like the dance floor and sh- she's dancing with him in like the conga line and everything so the guy comes over to like confront link like yo you're with my girlfriend like what are you doing and that's when he starts with like <laughs> the like the cheese is old and moldy which way to the bathroom and the guy takes that as like you're right like i don't need her like you know like you know it's just like it doesn't make any sense but it's so great um and it's just so funny that like link picks up on the fact that they're speaking spanish or whatever um that's the only two things he knows how to say now what, um, I, what I don't understand about this scene is it's a bar or a nightclub right why do the cops rate it like, because the car is there, the stolen car. They're trying to find them after they stole the car. Oh, is that why? Yeah, no, because it shows though, like the cops like find the car outside, so they're trying to find them now because they took they stole the car. You know, they took off with it. Oh, again, 
things I would have realized if I wasn't. And there was some TV there was just, some illicit stuff going on at the bars. I think what you're like meant to infer too, I, you know, because the guy's sort so. of like the cops are here, get out, you yeah. know, sort of like thing or something. So so Link and Dave get arrested, but Link's like Dave sort of like rescues. Um, Robin and like gets her out to safety so she doesn't get in trouble and so like Dave takes the fall for everybody and you're you're led to believe okay you know maybe she's gonna like him now he did the right thing he's a good guy he's getting arrested he's kind of a bad boy at the same time and you know somehow you know Matt is waiting for Robin at her house and and he's sort of like intimidating her, almost like like pressuring her. And it was a very uncomfortable scene because it's, you know, it just felt very like domineering and weird. And she sort of blows up like, listen, I'm done with you. Like, I don't, you know, I don't want anything to do with you. And and she goes in the house, which is good. I'm glad they did it went that way. And now we get this moment where Dave makes his one phone call at the you know police precinct. And he calls Robin. Because the person that you're with can't speak, so who would you call to get you out of prison? <laughs> you know. So he calls Robin, and he asks her to go to the prom, and you're going to assume she's going to say yes, but instead they reverse her and say that she wants to go with Link. Yeah. And- now I did think this was odd because, like. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, and again, like not to say that Robin didn't think Link was an interesting person, or whatever. But wasn't it really more her friend that was yes. really trying to get in, you know, in with Link? 100%. It kind of felt like it came out of left field. And at this point, the friend is completely gone from the story, like gone from the movie after, yeah. after the hockey rink thing. And and so this kind of takes Robin from being somewhat redeemable to unredeemable because she's just you know, reverted back to, I want to be with the cool guy. I don't want to be with you, which probably trends to real life more than what movie tropes would be. But I was surprised at this turn. And, you know, Dave gets genuinely pissed off and hangs up on her. And rightfully so, you know. And and now you'd think, okay, maybe Dave's going to redeem himself. But, he again goes down deeper into a worse rabbit hole because the next scene we see is basically Dave takes Link out to the middle of nowhere and tries to get rid of him. And yeah. he's just completely unredeemable at this point. And magically, Stoney shows up <laughs> and he again is the voice of reason. And it was like, what are you doing to our friend? You know, just because your girl didn't want you or or your girl wants, you know, him instead. Like, what's your problem, dude? Like, and I was like, man, Pauly Shore is really the only interesting character in this whole movie. It's really- yeah, and I got to say it's an interesting scene because they it's it's a breaking point for the two friends and they kind of really do go after each other. And of course, it's got that goofy quote <laughs> that I used on you earlier in the thing, which like it's so cracked me up. That like Sean Astin says like deadpan straight face serious to Stony that that line like the only thing you've ever cared about was nugs chilling and grindage and it's just like how can you say that line with a straight face because it's like you know like what the hell is nugs chilling and grindage you know it's like it's just nonsense words it's nonsense. Um, 
It's, it makes no sense. Yeah, and it's just like you know they have like a like a pretty big you know kind of like falling out with each other there for a minute, but literally a minute because yeah. Link comes over and he's like, "No, it is best Vin Diesel family." Yeah, yeah, <laughs> family. <laughs> and you know then they're you know three amigos again, and now we cut to the prom, and Link is in the most insane. <laughs> tuxedo looking outfitter it's basically like a inside out blazer and an undershirt and shorts and he sends you know link to the prom with robin and stoney and dave are just sitting by the pool kind of hanging out with each other while link is at the prom with robin and again now he's going to be your prom king. Like, they're going to crown him prom king. He's been there seven days, maybe. It's so bizarre. And maybe worth pointing out, too, at the prom, the band is a actual real-life band that's called Infectious Grooves. Mm-hmm. And while that band on its own might not be, like, super interesting, there's a ton of people from that band that, like, go on to be members of other and 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 are, come from and go on to be sort of like one of these experimental bands where it's just like you know like different big name sort of people like kind of teaming up to to you know do that or whatever so i don't know just a bunch of musicians that um are kind of popular musicians that like go off and are in a bunch of other bands and things like that throughout time so kind of just a a fun thing that they were sort of um in this movie and not just like some like you know no name nothing band that's interesting that's cool yes so now Matt, again, miraculous, you know, cat burglar, if you will, breaks into Dave's house. And I was so curious what made him think to do this, because, like, essentially they show up and there's a car in the I can't remember if it's their Matt's car or just a car in the driveway. I think it's just a car in the driveway. And they, like, climb onto it. And the other guy, like, gives him a hand up to, like, his window. And I'm like, A, like, how does this guy even know where Dave lives? Right. And then like B, like how does he know that like that's his window and that he could like get up there and climb through it and the whole sort of thing. It was kind of an interesting It's it's a real suspend disbelief. It's a stretch, yeah, yeah, it's a stretch. So he gets in and he finds the Polaroids. Yeah, like when he's coming through the window, he like knocks over a frame of Robin, which is like it's already again kind of creepy that like Dave has like a pretty recent like glamour shot of yeah. Robin like framed up and that like he like knocks that over and this is where like the the photos are stored. Yeah. Polaroids. So, so he steals the Polaroids and we get another earthquake that happens like a little quick aftershock sort of thing kind of happens suddenly and I sort of am blanking what happens in that moment after the the earthquake. Well, I, I mean, I'm kind of not thinking about it too, but like, you know, he sees the Polaroids that came out and the Polaroids um, like kind of in order. And of course, like using the old Polaroid thing of like writing on the back of the Polaroid, what was in the photo. Um, it sort of says like the block of ice with the caveman in it, you know, yeah. like the caveman after he's out of the end. And it's like, you know, like it's like this like series that eventually leads to the picture of the three of them, that selfie you mentioned yeah. earlier, like, like that basically says like us with the caveman or something yeah. like that on it. And it's like, wow, why did you like, like label that? Yeah. <laughs> that Gotta keep this a big secret, everybody, but let's create evidence again. Stoner logic, I guess. Sure. So Matt steals the Polaroids. 
and shows up at the prom, lickety split, I might, I might add, and gets on the stage as they're about to, you know, make Link the prom king, and he crashes the prom, and he tries to, like, tell everybody that Link is a caveman, and it's a big <laughs> lie, it's a big conspiracy, and I'm like, dude, no one would care. <laughs> No, yeah, well, I love the whole lead into it. You'd have to, like, first of all, that anybody would believe him, but he's just like, I have an, a, a conspiracy that I'm going to unveil to you all. This, These guys have been lying to you. And, like, you know, he's going on and on. And he's like, Link is a caveman. And, like, the crowd's quiet, and they're just like, yeah! And I'm like, that reaction would be as nonsense as like them like you know like 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 it would just be better for somebody to just be like shut up and get off the stage yeah. like, like why they would cheer when they're like he's a caveman like do they like believe it yeah and they're excited that he's a caveman like it's like very unclear like what the what the take is on that after the fact it, it makes no sense and then again somehow matt oh sorry somehow dave and stoney show up at the prom too and you know, he's trying to, like, get Matt off the stage, and Matt just punches Dave in the face, and then Link goes full WWF based on his, you know, quote-unquote <laughs> training. Yeah. And, and Like, where he, like, twirls him around on his shoulders and, like, body slams him. Yeah, it just sort of beats the hell out of him and body slams him, and everybody cheers for, you know, for Link, and now we cut to the after-prom party in this unfinished pool that somehow they rigged up lights to as well. They got lights. The whole the pool is full. Yeah. And like fairly clean looking for what should be just mud, given that it's just a giant dirt hole in the ground. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And the whole school is there just sort of partying in this pool. And Link is dancing and having a great time. And, you know, the, the other thing... Oh, no. I'm sorry. I'm jumping ahead. Um, so... After they kind of beat up Matt and get rid of him, they have this, you know, Link starts dancing and they have this miraculously well choreographed dance (laughs) in the prom where the whole school knows how to do this weird sort of, you know, caveman dance, if you will. And like I said, now we're at this after party with this dirty pool and with all the lights rigged up and the whole thing. And it's very bizarre. And now suddenly Robin likes Dave. And I'm just like, at this point, I'm like, I could care less about these two. All I really cared about was yeah. and their so- relationship just doesn't make sense. Like, and like, like, you know, you understand why Dave likes her. You know, he's just got this crush or infatuation with this person that's not interested in him, whatever. But like, Robin is too fickle. You know, she, she floats from Matt to Dave to Link to, to Matt to Dave. Like, it's like, there's, there's just kind of like nothing going on with her you know like like she you know it's just like a poorly written character she just kind of like floats to whoever's convenient in that moment in the movie yeah um there's nothing that's like completely redeeming about dave that would suddenly switch things to him at this point uh it kind of just doesn't make sense (laughs) yeah so now we cut to well stoney and and link are like kind of like dancing by the glass door and they see basically like Kazonga marks on the door. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, a la how the mug was caked onto the, the glass door when Link had first come out and yeah. and 
Yeah, they basically, and again, like, you know, like you mentioned, there was another earthquake. So essentially you're left to assume, I guess, that but the weird without thing the aid is, of any melting devices yeah. or anything, that the cave woman has come out of a That's block of ice. <laughs> and they find her also in Dave's room. Yes. Fine. Oh, no, I, no, she's just in the bathtub. They just find her in the bathtub already. <laughs> oh, was she in the? I thought she was standing in the room. Okay, maybe she was in the bath. See, no, they find her like already in the bathtub. I think, which is like, well, who put her there? Like, did the sister find her? Yeah. Like, is there a subplot that's happening here now? Like that we don't know about. Um, they clean and, her like, up. They get her some clothes. Again, the sister is much younger. So where they got clothes for essentially a twenty-one or twenty-five-year-old woman? I don't know. Yeah, know. they kind of like put her into like a mini skirt, like a bra, and like a like a denim like jacket or something yeah. like that. Like it was like it wasn't even like a full outfit. And, um, and, you know, but he went like diving into the tub with her and the whole nine yards, and and then like the movie just like ends. Yeah, but like the thing I want to point reference to is when they find Link and they cut his hair, they cut his hair crazy. But when we get the big reveal of the cave woman, she's got perfect hair, perfectly blown yeah, out. that's what I'm saying. I almost wonder if there was either a deleted scene or that they meant to film something and never got around to doing it. Like something where like the sister got wise to the whole scenario and like helped her out or something yeah. would have at least explained it a little better. But like, it, it's almost, if, if I had to guess, it's almost like they either didn't know how to end the movie in the writing stage or they hit like day 32 of 33 days of filming and we're like, shit, we got to wrap this up. And they just like, we're like, all right, like cave woman jumps in the tub with her. She comes out and she's clean. She's got a nice haircut. And then Polly Shore pretends to be the Terminator for one last little blip, you know, like, like, that's it. like, that's it. Like fade to black, you know, like, you know, so it just kind of wraps. Um, despite the ending being just kind of like, you know, there's a lot of movies we've seen already on this podcast that I feel like have ended like in ways like this, um, where it's like, you know, the, the movie's going and going and going and it's like, Oh, this was like a dumb, like teenage skater stoner, you know, California kids movie. Like, how do you end this thing? You know, like, how do you bring it in? Like, well, you know, main characters got to get the girl because of course. And what about link then? Well, you know, he'll get his girl back too. And then, you know, Polly Shore is still being Polly Shore, you know, neat little bow on the thing, you know, but it's like, you know, like you said, it's like a tight 90 minutes or whatever this movie, but like, it just kind of ends. Like yeah. it just really abruptly ends. It, you know, it, it doesn't have like, you know, at least it doesn't, maybe it's a good thing. It doesn't have like that sort of like Dave went on to be like a professor of like Cro-Magnon studies, you know, like <laughs> Link, Link went on to be like an accountant or whatever you said last time, you know, uh, you know, Stoney's still riding the, the you know, it's riding fun. the Magic Mountain, whatever, you know, so like, it's just like, I don't know, but, um, it, you know, overall, like, very enjoyable movie. It is trope city. Yeah, it is not the best movie that has ever been done in this sort of vein but it's just like it just lives off its charm um is what i would say you know like it's kind of this perfect amalgam of sort of straight man dave like kind of out there weirdo stony and then like fish out of water link and the three of them and their misadventures you know um and it's just fun it's just fun and funny um there's some good lines in there you know like again like I don't know how many like diehard Pauly Shore fans there are still out there in the world, but like he does shine in this movie. Um, fun fact, maybe not fun fact for Pauly Shore. 
The only award to speak of for this film is Pauly Shore was nominated for and won the Razzie <laughs> for um, worst new actor. So <laughs> really, yes, yeah. So uh, this movie again, not a critical success, and and so he ended up with the Razzie for this one. Um, among the likes of Sylvester Stallone for um, Throw Mom Under the Train or whatever the hell that movie is that you hate so much. Oh, yeah. Um, it's a bad movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, so a few others in that. So, you know, um, yeah. Otherwise, though, like, again, I was completely enjoying myself watching it, if not for the nostalgia of having going back and watch something that I genuinely like to watch over and over as like a kid. Um, I again, there's elements of this that don't stick up in the 30 year prism, but overall it's fine. It's funny. You know, it's watchable and it goes by quick. (laughs) Yeah. It's very quick. Like it's a quick 90 minutes and it's over. Overall, I did enjoy it though. I will say it's fun. It is abrupt ending. There's some really, you know, cheesy dialogue and, and, you know, tropiness all throughout, but overall, could have been a lot worse. Could have been yeah. a lot. Could could have been house sitter, which would have yes. been horrible. <laughs> yeah. So uh, again, thanks to everybody who voted for this. I'm really happy we got a chance to to watch it and and view it and um, do a little review here because it uh, is definitely uh, fun and funny and worth doing. Um, again, if you want to see it, check it out on Tubi. It's around on Tubi with commercials. <laughs> yep. Um, I thought just a couple funny, couple other facts just leading out of the film. Um, into the future, I had completely forgotten about, and I'm curious if you'll remember this or not. Um, they basically did this movie over in South Park. Oh, really? Do you remember this? So it was. Um, so I have the facts in front of me as a happy reminder. But this was the season finale of South Park's second season, and it was entitled Prehistoric Iceman. And I had kind of forgotten about this, but basically, like they kind of like go like out in the woods and they they're imitating crocodile hunter, mm-hmm. which is great. Like the Cartman doing the impression of, of uh, Steve Irwin is so wonderful. Uh, but they like, like Kyle or somebody falls into a cave and they find this man frozen in ice. But the whole story is that it's some guy that like got frozen in ice like three years ago. But then because it's South Park, everybody's treating it like he was like an actual caveman. <laughs> and he's like, the guy's just like, no, like I, I, it was only like a couple of years ago. And they're like, oh, look at the caveman talk. You know, like it's such a great episode. I had completely forgotten about it until I was looking up some of the other stuff to do with this movie. So, again, that's maybe also worth watching as an aside after you rewatch this movie. Um, and then another kind of fun fact that I maybe had in the back of my head, but like just kind of wasn't putting two and two together. Um, the character of Link goes on to make cameos in a couple other films. So uh, specifically as Brendan um, Fraser, like Brendan as Fraser. Brendan Fraser. Yeah. In, in specifically in two more Pauly Shore films. So um, in uh, Son-in-Law, the next year, he makes a, a cameo appearance as Link. And um, in in the army now, uh, Brendan Fraser's in that as a soldier named Link. So I thought that was kind of just like fun that they kind of kept the character going in one way or another in a couple more movies no kidding that's yeah. weird that's funny holy cow that's pretty so funny. that's gonna do it for my uh my fun facts for this one okay so. and that's that, that does it for my knowledge of this movie as well so <laughs> there you go so overall it's fine it's not a bad movie i, I don't i don't hate it i was genuinely enjoyed it 
So there you go. Look at that. Nice. <laughs> you proved me wrong. There we go. I'm okay. All right. So for once, I actually have ready the films for next month, which is July 1992. So let's take a quick look at those. Sure. So top four as they are on this list, and then we'll maybe discuss what we might substitute in. Top four is A League of Their Own, Boomerang, Batman Returns, and Sister Act. So, I, you know, obviously I think A League of Their Own is going back up on the list. Boomerang, I was really trying to remember um, what that film is. Eddie Murphy basically movie. an Eddie Murphy movie, but I can't really remember the plot of it. So at any rate, it's number two. So I think that one also goes on the list. I think we maybe stick Sister Act back on there. You know, I thought for sure that Sister Act was going to have a lot larger voting. Um, and I there were some know. people that commented for Sister Act, including I think Jason at the Retro Network wanted that one to go in. But it, it didn't quite get there. Um, I don't so know, but after if you, that, if you jump down like six and seven, Honey, I blew up the kid in Universal Soldier. Like. <laughs> well, I was going to say, so then five, six, seven is unlawful entry. Honey, I blew up the kid in Universal Soldier. So unlawful entry. I also kind of don't remember. I th- it's a Kurt Russell movie. Yeah, I'm kind of mad on that. I don't know uh, about that. So one. why don't we? Put A League of Their Own, Boomerang, un- um, Honey, I Blew Up the Kid, and Universal Soldier as our, I as am our pick. I am down for that. I am down for that. that okay, so hopefully that's copacetic with the fans too. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, if not, like, rate us and know what you would have rather <laughs> rather done. Uh, but those are going to be our, our picks. I'll put them up in the poll, and we'll pick them out for our, our next um, Box Office 30 episode, and we'll see what we come up with there. Sounds like a plan. All right, so let's wrap this puppy up. Why don't you tell them where they can uh, contact us? So if you want to hit us up on the social medias, you can find us at Box Office 30 on Twitter and Facebook and Box Office T-H-I-R-T-Y on the Instagrams. And you can also go to our website, boxoffice30.com, and see some of our most recent episodes you can also go to our T Public store, which I think is linked through the website. Am I right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. There is a there is a link at the top of the page. Cool. Yeah. So you should check us out. And, you know, let us know what you think of our episodes. If you if you have any recommendations for things, what we could add to the show, I would love to hear it. You know, and Pete's much better at responding than I am. <laughs> but uh, you know, we always hear a lot of people from Twitter giving us a lot of positive feedback, and I mean. You know, for this poll, we had well over a hundred something votes on these movies, so people know we're there. They know we exist, which is kind of cool. Um, you know, I also want to thank you know Jason and Mickey from the Retro Network for giving us a platform to ramble on for an hour and a half twice a week and and talk about movies and just hang out as buddies. And they're always promoting us, and there's a lot of great content on the Retro Network as well as you know. Tons and tons of cool stuff and great people in there as well. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, friends. We will see you next time. Bye-bye. Got nothing? Gazongas? (laughs) Use the juice. (laughs) This has been a presentation of the Retro Network.